0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May would increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the Sacrament. Amen. This setup begins with an apology, because, as you can see, it's being broadcast well after the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. Please forgive me, and suffice it to say, these past two weeks brought some unexpected difficulties. The readings you heard last weekend at Mass began with our old pal Isaiah. Many scholars believe that this passage of Isaiah was composed as a sort of coronation celebration for a king of Judah. There's not enough evidence to determine just which king was being celebrated. The language of our excerpt talks about abundant joy and great rejoicing, such as when people rejoice in the harvest or in the spoils of war. What's not included in our excerpt, though, is when this passage gets very concrete about this Child born to us and a son given to us. Upon his shoulder, dominion rests. Our excerpt ends, however, by saying that the yoke that burdened the people has now been smashed by the Lord God as on the day of Midian. What was this day of Midian? It's a story from chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Judges. Gideon leads the Israelites into battle after winnowing his forces down to just 300 soldiers and yet emerges victorious over Midian. We should be thinking of campaign slogans when it comes to our second reading. Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he's reporting that Chloe's people—more on that in a second—have informed him that there are rivalries among them. Who is Chloe and what's with her people? We actually don't know too much about Chloe. She could have been a patron of the church in Corinth, meaning that she would have supported the Christians there financially and or with a place for them to gather. But Paul mentions Chloe and her people likely to give greater credence to the report that he's heard. Be like the difference between a teacher pulling you in from recess and saying, I heard you kick some sand in Jessica's face, and that same teacher saying to you, Mrs. Weiss told me you kick some sand in Jessica's face. The second appeal has more weight to it because it appeals to someone's information. So it's this rivalry of these people in Corinth. They're taking sides. I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. The phrase itself, I belong to so-and-so, was a common political trope at the time. It's something similar to saying, I'm for so-and-so during an election. It meant all of these people were placing their backing behind one prominent Christian leader at the expense of the others. But Paul wants to correct their erroneous thinking, helping them to realize that Christ is not divided and that he is the one, ultimately, that every Christian should put his backing towards. Our gospel opens with telling us that Jesus left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the twelve tribes of Israel, and when the people of Israel settled into the land and began dividing it up, Zebulun and Naphtali and their descendants were given land way to the north. That's important because this means they were also the first people to be overrun and sent into exile by the invading Assyrians in the 8th century. Given this, St. Matthew wants to show that Jesus begins preaching the kingdom to the very descendants who first were brought into exile. As further evidence that Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures by doing this, St. Matthew includes the excerpt from Isaiah which we heard as our first reading, talking about how the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From there, Jesus begins calling his first disciples. But he does so in a very unorthodox way. You see, at the time, disciples would search out their teachers and rabbis. Here, Jesus does the exact opposite. He's the one who takes the initiative with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Remarkably, without even a recorded hesitation, these four fishermen leave their nets and follow Jesus at once. What's even more remarkable still is that these fishermen are meeting Jesus for the very first time. To this point in Matthew's Gospel, there have been no recorded miracles of Jesus. He's done no teaching. He simply has shown up and called these fishermen, and something about that call indicated to them that they needed to drop everything and follow. As scripture scholar M. Eugene Boring says, and yes, that's actually his last name, what we are met with here is Jesus' first miracle in St. Matthew's Gospel. The miracle of Jesus' powerful invitation that makes disciples. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this third Sunday in ordinary time in year A that already happened. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend.